It's a reality check when the first day of a trip like this is challenging. And this was definitely a challenging day. I was getting a late start. There was some weird weather, some unusual run-ins with both people and machinery, and lots of detours. I'm Giulio Gallarotti, and this is Pack Light Season 1, A COVID-Friendly Road Trip. You really notice the little things when you spend enough time alone, and I intend to walk you through every little detail of this trip. These are my free-flowing thoughts as I drive around the country. At the end of the episode, there are more details about where to find pictures, links to music, and some other cool stuff. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. The Atlanta airport was popping. The flight was quick. You gain an hour flying from Atlanta to Mobile since you entered to Central Time. After landing, the woman sitting across from me sparked up friendly conversation. You know, I'm heading to visit my 97-year-old mother for the first time during all this. I've been social distancing, but I'm still really nervous. I thought, how sweet. (laughs) But also, you know, I nodded, trying to make sure I didn't commit to conversation, for fear of what could happen next. But I quickly realized that it's not weird to talk to people randomly in most places. Just New York. Maybe more places than just New York, but it seems more normal everywhere else I go. I wanted to say something valuable without giving false hope. If I said, well, I'm sure it'll be fine, in my opinion, that borders on insincere since she's coming from what's technically a COVID hotspot. So instead, I tried to pivot in a positive way. I said, wow, 97? That's that's an incredible run. You're lucky to have had her for this long. She smiled and continued to dig through her little pouch in front of her looking for her glasses. There appeared to be lots of meaningful reunions happening. I walked through that big glass thing that rotates and moves when you walk through it. I'm not sure what it's called, but there was a family standing outside of it, looking like they were about to explode from excitement, hopping in anticipation. It was two women, three little girls, and one little boy. I was trying to figure out what the like breakdown of who was who was in this group, but whatever. I can't recall ever seeing a group of people so excited in the flesh. It reminded me of one of those viral videos of soldiers coming back and surprising their families when they aren't expecting it. It's kind of popping out, you know? For a second, I thought maybe they were waiting for me, that Francis, my podcast co-host, was pranking me or something. I realized midway through the big glass roundabout situation that they were waiting for the woman who was directly behind me, who was trotting in slow motion so as not to face play into the rotating glass. We finally made it out after what seemed like an eternity. I cleared the path, and the woman sprinted into the arms of her family. They looked like a team that had just won the world championship, holding each other, jumping around. What a nice moment. I haven't even gotten into my car, and I had already been part of a bunch of highly emotional family moments. I got in line at the rental desk at the Mobile Airport. The rental area was kind of small. It's a small airport. So on the way out, when you get downstairs, there's the baggage claim, and then there's kind of like a big circular area for all the rental car places. And I also find it funny how like all the rental car places all work for each other somehow. You know what I mean? Like 
They're like, oh, there's no one at the national desk. Go to Hertz or whatever. I'm not sure if that's exactly who works where, but that's you get my point. So I get in line at the mobile airport at the desk. And the woman at the desk was an African-American woman. And the guy in front of me was this little Middle Eastern guy. And I was trying to figure out if they knew each other because this little man approached the desk and he immediately goes, What's up, girl? How you doing, baby? In what felt like a situation that could be construed as marginally to extremely inappropriate. I braced myself. I was like, this is cringe. The woman seemed to enjoy this little flirtation from this extraordinarily little man. She told him his car wouldn't be ready for a while. And then they continued to exchange pleasantries. Given all the civil unrest in regards to matters of race and cultural sensitivity, to sort of very broadly characterize what's been going on, it's June 23rd, 2020. Major cities have seen weeks of protests and racial tensions are high. It seemed very ballsy for this guy to practice cultural appropriation and misogynist behavior at the same time. Or maybe it was no big deal. I, I really don't know. <laughs> I wasn't particularly invested in him or the situation, to be honest, but I was running the different reactions through my brain before it ended up being completely fine. She didn't care. So now it was my turn. So I was like, what's up, baby? Just kidding. <laughs> I would never do that. That would be a terrible idea. But I was told that because I would be dropping off my car in a different state that I would have to wait for a while. And I went back and forth on what kind of car I should rent. I wanted to try to keep costs down, but I was going to be on the road for at least a couple weeks, I thought. So I wanted to try to get the sturdiest car possible for the most reasonable price, obviously. If you're road tripping, I highly recommend that you at least get a compact SUV for reasons that you will hear in the rest of this podcast. But seriously, I highly recommend that you just go for it. It only costs you a couple extra, like a couple hundred bucks extra. My commercial shoot getting extended had already screwed me over because I had to cancel my existing reservation for a compact car for the day earlier. And I got a compact car because I thought that maybe I'd be able to get an upgrade for free. It was actually crazy. Even though they had told me that I wouldn't be able to get my money back for that reservation that I couldn't show up for, a few weeks later, I got a refund somehow. And I'm not sure how that worked out, but I'll take it. Back when I used to visit LA regularly, like before Uber became affordable, I had a little operation I liked to execute. Once I had finished making my rental reservation, they would tell me what lot that I could pick the car up from. I would pretend that whatever lot they said was in fact a lot with way nicer cars in it. They would direct me by literally just pointing because typically they were understaffed and the parking lots were huge. So they would stand by the door and they would point to which parking lot that I, I should go to. They'd be like, this is where the cars that you're gonna get are. So you just walk and you keep looking back and you say here and then they say, yeah. So usually after the first point, it's very obvious what lot they're pointing to. But it's far enough away that there could be some confusion. So I kind of just like to play dumb and I would just yell here and I would point to the better lot. <laughs> and they would say, no, 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 there, there. And I would say, you mean here, here? They would say, no, there, there. Pointing to the lot with the shitty cars that literally only exist at rental places. Like the Toyota Yaris. Like I've never seen a Toyota Yaris besides at the rental store. And I would pretend that they just said the lot that I want. I would then turn around and just keep walking and not stop or look back. And the person would likely just head back to the desk to deal with the long line of people. And I would hop in a much nicer car and drive off. The inspection guy at the end of the lot would assume that I had been upgraded okay, and I drive off the lot with a way better car for the same price. It actually works. I recommend trying that if it's still something that can be done there. Anyway, I was hoping that I could do something like that here, but at the Mobile Airport, it doesn't work like that, unfortunately. They bring your car to you, whatever. 
So I had also failed to make the reservation for long enough the first time. So I figured, whatever, I'm gonna get an SUV this time and I'm gonna rent it for longer than I will need just in case my plans change. RAV4 or similar was what I would be getting. They asked me if I wanted a free upgrade and I was super psyched, but then they said upgrading would mean that I would get a pickup truck. <laughs> Although it seemed funny because maybe I could fit in better across the country, the shitty gas mileage that I assumed it would get made it not worth it. Although now that I think about it, a pickup truck would have been very swag. Next time. Also, pickup trucks need a PR boost. I feel like they got a bad rap and have this reputation of representing racism and toxic masculinity. I thought that maybe I should drive it around to show people that people who drive pickup trucks are actually all right. <laughs> but also, I would just take a normal SUV, whatever. Finally, my car was ready. A brand spanking new Jeep Cherokee Silver Dash Gray only had 6,800 miles on it, which was something I assumed was a great thing. More on that later. I proceeded to take pictures of the entire perimeter of the car, just in case I end up having to file an insurance claim. I've had to do it once before and it was a nightmare, even though I used American Express auto insurance, which everyone raves about. This car was great. I immediately felt pleasure knowing that I had rented a nicer car than usual. So I was happy that this ended up working out. And I was excited to fire up my playlist. I'd also purchased all of this shit on Amazon that I definitely did not need. One was one of those suction cup iPhone holders, so I could do stuff on my phone like an Uber driver without having to take my eyes off the road. The only problem with that was that the only place that I could put it on the dashboard was out of my reach. I was also paranoid that I would mess up the car with the suction device. If I put it up to the windshield, there would be like a ring, a sticky ring around it. I would have to file another insurance claim. I didn't want to have to do that. So I decided not to use it. I also bought a charging adapter in case I got a car without any plugs. But this car was stacked with all the plugs, USB outlets everywhere. It was amazing. I also bought a first aid kit just in case. Anyway, cue the playlist. Time to hit the road. My route was as follows. I would stop into Dauphin Island in Southern Alabama for lunch. Then I would go to the Gulf National Seashore in Mississippi, my first national park site on the docket, followed by Biloxi Bay, Mississippi to check out the boardwalk. I would then go to check out Wesson, Mississippi to check out the town my friend Josh Wesson was from. He had been in the midst of an ancestry.com wormhole and traced his roots there. In his words, you gotta check out Wesson, playa. So I told him I would go check it out for him. I was getting a late start as it was already early afternoon, and I hope I'd be able to squeeze in all this stuff. One of my podcast listeners from Oops, shout out at Miranda Lindsay, M-I-R-A-N-D-A-L-Y-N-N-Z-E-Y, recommended I check out Dauphin Island. It was already early afternoon. It was about 40 miles out of the way, but I just wanted to do something in Alabama and not drive straight through right to Mississippi. I looked at my Instagram story replies, and half of them were people asking me if the mask that I was wearing was from Skims by Kim Kardashian. I realized that the mask that Hillary had given to me was indeed from that company. She never told me. She probably anticipated me complaining that I didn't want to wear a, quote, girl's mask 
But I will say this, the mask made me look chiseled and thin and it was pretty low key. I still wear it. Though some people have started to harass me about it for some reason being like, okay, dude, you need a new mask. Which, every, first of all, everyone mind your own business, but maybe they're right. So I've started to mix it up. <laughs> I was also excited to finally make it through my hip hop playlist that had become way too long and not conducive with walking down the street. There was a strong chance that the playlist had become so long that I would never hear some of the songs. I started just adding full albums with the expectation that I would listen to them eventually on shuffle and delete the songs that I didn't like. I should just be vetting each album and only adding the good songs, but who has time to do that? The problem with this system is that the playlist is so long that in order to delete the songs from the playlist, I have to first locate the songs from the playlist itself. You can't search within playlists on Apple Music. And also, if you delete a song while you're listening to it on a playlist, it just deletes it from your library. It doesn't just take it off the playlist. Once I actually go to delete them, and I don't know if this is a function of the list being too long, but once I go to actually delete them, sometimes it deletes the next song in the order by accident. It's like a glitch, which is extremely frustrating. This happens if I've already deleted a song, but the image reflects that the song is still there when it isn't. So when I delete another song, it's actually deleting the song that's next in the order, if that makes sense at all. I know I need to switch to Spotify. Anyway, I was about 10 minutes outside of the airport and I saw this weird, rusty, deserted factory on the side of the road in Theodore, Alabama, which is part of Mobile County. I only stumbled upon this because the highway to Dolphin was closed and I needed to take a detour. There was a gate and it was open and a long paved road that I didn't intend to drive to. But I've always been kind of fascinated with industrial structures, primarily industrial structures that look like they're abandoned. Inside of the gate, there were three or four metal structures that almost looked like the covered fuel stations, like the way there's something above you when you pump gas in your car. And then there was a smokestack kind of looking thing. I drove in. And I got out of the car to take videos and to take some pictures. I was on the phone with Hillary, high as a kite that my trip had begun. But I turned around and I see the gate beginning to close with the prospect of locking me in. I panicked, hung up on Hillary and started sprinting to the car. I hopped in and frantically started backing up. Great, I was gonna get stuck inside what was apparently still an active factory Someone was going to come out and I would have to awkwardly explain I was taking pictures because I found abandoned structures interesting, even though this isn't even actually abandoned, apparently, which is insulting and very sus. The cops would then be called and yet again, I would get arrested on a road trip. I'll explain more about that later. I frantically sped backwards in reverse and thank God the gate opened back up again. I breathed a sigh of relief, backed the car out of the factory and continued on the detour. This detour was going to make getting to Dauphin Island take significantly longer than I had hoped, but whatever. One of my main goals for this trip was to never be driving at night at all, ever. The prospect of having a flat tire with no light or cell phone service and having problems with the jack that came with the car and being stuck and having to find help was all too terrifying. So I decided no night driving if possible. I realized that it might be difficult to avoid night driving on this particular day with my ambitious schedule, but I was trying to move as quickly as possible. The drive down to Dauphin was interesting. 
I was almost never on a major highway, which is always fun. And I got to see a bunch of nearby culture and scenery. It was kind of swampy, but much less like Florida. This definitely felt like, quote, the South. I started to approach the big bridge that gets you over to Dauphin Island. It was a beautiful, narrow stretch. Water on either side of you. The Gulf water was darker than I expected. I know that the water in the Gulf in Florida is always clear, blue, from what I had seen in Sarasota and Naples, so I wasn't sure if further up maybe the water just isn't as nice. Or maybe I just caught it on the wrong day. But when I got to Mississippi later that day, I noticed the water was even darker there, like basically brown. And I googled it and it said this. The Mississippi River carries vast amounts of sediments, parentheses, yellow-brown, and nutrients into the Gulf of Mexico, which are then transported westward along the coast by the wind. The nutrients cause a growth of algae, parentheses green. Oxygen is consumed in the deep water as bacteria break down in the algae. Makes sense. More on the Mississippi later. Driving over the bridge in a dolphin is an incredible experience. It almost felt like driving on that bridge in the Truman Show that no one ever goes over. Just a narrow corridor surrounded by water. There's a similar drive in Old Sabre, Connecticut, close to where I went to high school, on a much smaller scale, but it goes over the Long Island Sound into this private community called Fenwick, where I used to give tennis lessons to little kids. Its claim to fame was that Catherine Hepburn used to have a house there, but I mean, the community seems to have lost a little bit of its gusto since. This drive in Alabama was particularly beautiful. The bridge was very long and seemingly steep from a distance. You go up and you feel like you're hundreds of feet above the water. In the distance in the Gulf, I could see oil rigs something that I had never seen in person, but always wondered about. Life working on an oil rig in the middle of a body of water seemed crazy. I read a little about it, and even though a worker might be on the rig for a couple weeks, they typically get a few weeks off after that, kind of like a flight attendant schedule. As I drove over the bridge, dozens of pelicans flew over and around the car, and it felt like we were so high above the water It felt like I was flying with them. (laughs) It was crazy. Then we came down from the ramp and down onto Dauphin Island. Here's what the wiki page says about it. Dauphin Island is a town in Alabama on the Gulf Coast Island of the same name. It's known for stretches of white sand like Public Beach. At the entrance to Mobile Bay, 19th century Fort Gaines features original cannons and a blacksmith shop. Migrating birds can be seen in the forest, dunes, and swamp of the Audubon Bird Sanctuary. The Dauphin Island Sea Labs Estuarium offers aquariums and a living marsh boardwalk. I was excited to check out the beach, but first I needed to grab a bottle of water and a snack. It was about two o'clock and I decided that I was gonna wait until I arrived to Biloxi in a couple hours and eat a big meal there. So I pulled into a CVS parking lot. And simultaneously, another car pulled into the parking spot next to me. The parking lot was on a bit of a slant and when the guy opened his door, it sort of flung open and banged into my car. I was startled, but I wasn't immediately angry or anything. I was just hoping and assuming that it would be no big deal. But the dude in the car was semi-stressful looking. He was kind of driving a beat-up pickup truck. He made a kind of face, like, oh shit, I just bashed into this guy's car with my door. 
He inspected it for a second and then started to laugh and goes, ah, don't worry, no scratches or nothing. <laughs> the accent was very on brand, but this guy was way friendlier than I anticipated someone like him was going to be. He was probably mid-50s, facial hair, long hair, backwards hat. When I actually saw him in the store, I noticed that he had a giant knife in a holster hanging off his belt, something that I had never seen before. He also had a screwdriver wedged into the rubber that separates the car window from the slot that the window goes up and down at. I was wondering why the hell that was there. <laughs> maybe it kept the window shut. Or maybe this guy is so regularly using a screwdriver for whatever it is that he does that he needed to have it readily available. Regardless of this guy's intriguing setup, he was exceptionally warm and friendly. And exceptionally warm and friendly is how I would describe most of the people that I encountered outside, which I was definitely expecting. The saying Southern hospitality is a saying for a reason. And man, when I was in the store, I saw that it was six bucks for a pack of darts, which is one of the things that I call cigarettes. The cheapest I had seen in an extremely long amount of time. I was just reminiscing back on the days where I would smoke an entire pack of heaters in a night out. Thank God they got so expensive up north because everyone quit, which made me quit. It became too unbearable to be the only guy smoking. People would look at you like you had leprosy or something. I thought about buying a pack, but I realized that if I started smoking on this trip, I would smoke way too much, and I would also probably smoke in the car, which would lead to a fine, which I didn't want to pay. So not worth it on all accounts. As I pulled out of the parking lot, I pulled alongside a car, where in the passenger seat was the oldest woman I had ever seen smoking a Newport 100 to the face. <laughs> I had second thoughts about turning down that extraordinarily affordable pack of smokes, but quickly decided to keep it moving. Beach and Dolphin was beautiful. I immediately took my shirt off and started to wander around. It was a long walk to get to the beach itself from the parking lot. And I always like seeing how the actual sand part is set up on a beach. It's as interesting as the water for me. There was a long boardwalk that went above a marshy kind of situation, but a marshy situation that was baked into the dry sand, but still kind of a treacherous walk though. So I understand why the boardwalk was so long. I toyed with the idea of taking the long walk to the beach, but time was not on my side. It was already 2.30. I needed to get moving if I wanted to avoid driving at night. Already the words of David Shane, the director from the commercial shoot a day earlier, were echoing in my brain. Be lazy. Soak it in. Wesson was a big detour that I had planned. Did I really need to go? But I was married to today's itinerary at this point. And also, if I jumped in the water, I didn't have a towel. And I didn't want to fuck the car up. Which is classic at this point. The car just holding me back. But it was a fair point, I thought. So I sat in the sun for 10 minutes and then I took off. I was afraid that the parking attendant would be suspicious that I paid six bucks for parking, the same price as a whole pack of steamers, <laughs> and then immediately just leave. But as I drove off, I waved at her. She waved back happily, clearly not questioning my intentions.
I was very excited to get my first National Park Register site under my belt on the road. I'd been fortunate to visit two while I was in Atlanta and a couple in Florida, but those were all technically pre-road trip. There were a couple important themes that took away from my trip, unfortunately. One is COVID, and the second was just being a hypochondriac in general. I'm not sure what it is about being alone for a long period of time that makes me think there's something wrong with me. It started in the hotel room in Atlanta. Now, don't forget that this is also a very tense time to be traveling, especially leaving Florida where the outbreak was rampant. So it started in Atlanta, first fearing having COVID, and then just turning into general hypochondria. My stomach was slightly off. Also chest pain that started flaring up very early in the trip. I started conjuring up all sorts of quack diagnoses. But I kept telling myself that that was exactly what I was doing, just making things up and fooling myself into feeling worse. So I tried my best to ignore the sensation to panic. I have a couple friends who felt exactly the same way as I did, which made me feel a little better during my daily episode. And my episode weren't just limited to, I think I have COVID. I was also positive that I had cancer and heart problems multiple times during the trip. It doesn't help that I would watch 15 to 20 minutes of the Lance Armstrong documentary before passing out each night. Nothing like hearing a story about an extremely unlikely candidate for cancer getting cancer to make you feel like it's possible that you also have cancer. As I mentioned earlier, I purposely created a COVID-friendly route, something that would get me away from densely populated areas. But each destination handled COVID differently. Pretty much everywhere I saw people taking some sort of precaution. But still, I was worried for about an hour a day that I either had it, would get it, would transfer it to Hillary's parents, or some combination of the three. I tried my best to book the hotels the day of, just in case my plans changed last minute. I booked my hotel for Mississippi while I was still in Atlanta, the Natchez Grand Hotel, on the river, which I presumed was the Mississippi River. But when they added an extra shoot day to the commercial, I was afraid that I would have to eat the money for the reservation and book a new night as it was non-refundable. So I called the hotel to see if they could change it. I was prepared to beg. Hi, how's it going? Uh, I have a reservation tomorrow night at the hotel. Um, I was wondering, and I know it's a non-refundable reservation, but I was wondering if there was any way you could possibly change it to the following night. Okay, for the following night, no problem. Okay, so I'm good? Okay, uh, thanks. Bye. The most unenthusiastic yet helpful person in history. The drive from Dauphin to Biloxi, Mississippi was not uneventful. The first half or so of the drive is on scenic back roads. Within 10 minutes of leaving Dauphin, I stumbled upon two brutal accidents. The first one, there was a giant pickup truck slammed into a telephone pole. There were three police talking to a guy who looked like he was wasted. Not totally sure what happened there, but then about a thousand feet down the road, there was a flipped car, a woman getting wheeled into an ambulance, and a mid-twenties girl sitting on the ground on the side of the road sobbing. It was very intense. About two minutes down the road from there was a super creepy graveyard with a giant narrow cross. And the skies were starting to get a little dark with some clouds. It was moderately stressful. This was all happening in Bayou La Batra, Alabama, part of the Mobile metropolitan area still. There were a lot of one-floor bungalow-style houses on plots of land that didn't seem particularly inhabitable. It looked damp and flooded, but that trend would continue and got more intense the deeper I went into the south. 
I finally got into a much welcomed highway area, Interstate 10 West. I must have seen about 10 dead armadillos on the side of the highway. And these were definitely the first armadillos I had seen as an adult. I'm not positive, but I think I had seen one as a kid. I'm not totally sure about that, but an armadillo just seems like the type of animal that would be at like a petting zoo or something, or a zoo field trip. The first stop in Mississippi, the Gulf Islands, National Seashore, Davis Bayou area. It was a pretty forested area with a lot of open marshland and pretty views. Being in Florida for the past couple weeks, this became kind of a familiar sight. The grounds were nicely maintained, and there was a pretty boardwalk to take me out to a scenic overlook. The wiki said this, Gulf Islands National Seashore offers recreation opportunities and preserved natural and historic resources along the Gulf of Mexico barrier islands of Florida and Mississippi. The protected region includes mainland areas and parts of seven islands. The sound of whatever swamp critters, which I assume are some sort of cricket, were equally familiar, and I felt comfortable walking and looking around until I started getting eaten by mosquitoes. It was around four o'clock. Time was working against me. I had to get moving. My lunch in Dauphin Island turned into my dinner in Biloxi. I was starving, and I needed to eat soon. Biloxi reminded me a little bit of Atlantic City. I didn't want to go into any of the casinos with COVID and all, even though this area hadn't really been hit at all yet. I was obviously trying my best to avoid indoor scenarios, especially right out of the gate. Getting COVID and having it hit me while I'm all alone in the middle of nowhere sounded like something I needed to avoid. As I drove down the boardwalk, I drove by all sorts of interesting and quirky beachfront establishments. Most of these places were built on stilts, which I assume is because of how bad the weather can get in the Gulf during the hurricane season. One that stood out was Sharkhead Souvenir and Swimwear slash Gift Shop. Sharkheads was a giant pink and blue building with a 15-foot great white head coming off the side of the building. Ridiculous. But I'm sure every kid who lays eyes on it immediately falls in love and then drags their parents in to buy them stuff. Well played, Sharkheads. Well played. I looked on Yelp to find a good seafood spot. The night before, I'd asked my Instagram followers to ask me some questions. Someone asked me if this was another one of my drunkenly booked vacations. I laughed because that is the thing that I do. I must have talked about it at some point on the podcast. I once ran into an old friend at a bar. She drunkenly invited me to stay with her and her parents in Brazil. I booked a flight on the spot and woke up with a trip to Brazil booked that I couldn't really afford to stay with a not that close of a friend. But I went and it was so fun, even though only for a couple of nights. And I'm good friends with her and her family to this day. So now I do this kind of thing whenever I get the chance. So don't invite me anywhere because I will come. This trip was a little different, but definitely a close relatives in terms of how ambitious it was. We'll talk more about the specific group later. I settled on Snapper's Seafood right on the boardwalk in Biloxi. I didn't know much about it, but it was the first option that came up on Yelp and seemed to have decent reviews. Time to have some Southern food. I walked in and saw a sign that said, quote, the all-you-can-eat option is not available today, which was obviously fine, but I didn't realize it was one of those places when I initially made my plan to come here. I wanted to eat well, but I wasn't looking to float away like a balloon when the meal was over either. I sat outside. Even though inside dining was available, 
the outdoor option is much prettier and uh, COVID, hello. I sat on the back deck overlooking the gulf. The water, as I mentioned before, was very dark, muddy looking water. The muddiest kind I've literally ever seen in a saltwater situation. As I said earlier, it has something to do with the sediment from the Mississippi River flowing into that part of the gulf. The Mississippi has notoriously muddy waters. The beach wasn't too crowded. I wasn't sure if that was because it was a weekday or if maybe people were shying away because of the pandemic. The waitress approached, asking if I wanted anything to drink. I ordered a beer, which isn't typically my go-to. A Bud Light Lime seems like a perfect beach boardwalk beverage. I asked her what her favorite thing on the menu was, and she said, The po' boy. So I thought, maybe I'll get the po' boy. The po' boy, being from the Northeast, I always just assumed that the po' boy is some kind of pulled pork situation. I don't know where I came up with that. I might have made it up in my head. But I didn't realize it was actually something much different. The po' boy is a Louisiana specialty with much different ingredients than I thought. What's on the po' boy? Well, it's roast beef with shrimp on it. And she had already lost me there, but I didn't want to be rude, so I just let her finish. And then I think there's... She had to stop and think about it for a second. Swiss? Yeah, I think Swiss cheese on it. And like, I was down to try something new, but no thanks. <laughs> I looked at the menu for a bit more, and I decided I would finally try some catfish. I heard a story a few years back about Waka Flocka, who's a rapper, obviously. <laughs> Imagine if I was like, Waka Flocka, who's my doctor. Clearly, that's the name of a rapper. Anyway, I didn't believe this story about him, but this is the story. Supposedly, he was at an Italian restaurant with someone that I knew, and he asked them if they had catfish. And this is after he had already read the menu, seeing that there was no catfish. And also, I've never heard of an Italian restaurant that had catfish. I mean, obviously, I always found this kind of amusing, but also thought that it must mean that he loved catfish so much that he always double-checked to see if it was on the menu of every place he went, regardless of the cuisine. So I got the catfish, with fries, and a Bud Light Lime. And it came with these little fried balls that I'd never seen before. And I asked Hillary, what, what are these fried balls? She went to school in Nashville, so I just assumed she might know. But she didn't know. But my buddy Hans, whose house I had eaten dinner at in Atlanta the night before, confirmed that they were indeed hush puppies, which is basically a little deep-fried cornmeal ball. I had been trying to get healthy during quarantine, and I had essentially completely failed up to this point. But I convinced myself that since I wouldn't really be snacking much on this road trip, it would be okay if I indulged in some local cuisine. Whatever you need to tell yourself, pal. The meal was delicious, but I had to get moving. I wanted to get to Weston before it got too dark. I promised Josh I would go, and it was sort of on the way. And it would get me way off the beaten path of Mississippi, so it seemed fun. It was 177 miles to Wesson and 242 miles to Natchez, which would be my final stop. Stopping in Wesson would add another hour and a half or so to the trip. Now, this may seem like a lot of driving, but if you've ever done a road trip, you maybe know this. And this also might just be me talking, but you know that once you're on a road trip, long distances suddenly start seeming like short distances, in theory. But then you start driving and you realize that those short distances aren't that short at all. They're actually extremely long distances. I heard David Shane in my ear. Be lazy, be lazy, soak it in, soak it in. And so far I was not doing a very good job. So I headed for Wesson. A couple days later, I noticed a DM that I received while I was in Biloxi from a nearby member of the Air Force who offered to take me on a goodwill flight as a nice gesture. Man, I really regret not reading my DMs while I was there. 
that would have definitely been worth changing up my schedule a bit, but at least it means I wasn't texting and driving too much. And the drive to Wesson was tough. It started torrentially downpour in the middle of the DeSoto National Forest. A lot of two-way, one-lane roads, not much around, with trucks driving by and blasting me with water. At this point, I was already grateful that I had the SUV. Immediately worth a couple extra bucks. You know that feeling of when your car drives through too deep of a puddle and the water sort of like blasts from either side? Kind of like a sound effect? Just imagine driving through that for 10 mile stretches straight. And it would be like this for me for three days straight at different points during the day. Very tough terrain. I passed a sign for a store called Maters and Taters in Seminary, Mississippi, which presumably stands for tomatoes and potatoes. I thought this was some fun little Southern branding. I didn't stop, but I looked on the website later and it looks like you can get some delicious produce and even some shrimp among other things. So check it out if you're in the area. I also saw gas for $1.54 in that area, which would be the cheapest I would see it for the entire trip. I started to get closer to Wesson, and I realized that I was pretty off the beaten path at this point. Torrential downpours, vicious thunder and lightning accompanied billboards that said crazy stuff. I just pictured some vengeful, higher power ominously reading it after a crash of lightning and fire. Wake up, America! Your country is in peril! Your liberty is at risk! with a burning American flag on it. And along the bottom it said 917, Proverbs 1434, and John 336. I tried to be pretty open-minded, but I did not see the connection between these scattered Bible passages and the supposed downfall of America. I was in Brookhaven, Mississippi, the town over from Wesson. I was 63 miles away from Natchez, which, if the rain didn't let up, could take me an hour and a half or so to get to. Mind you, this entire time I'm driving on scenic roads, no major highways. I get to three miles away from Wesson and I come to a sign in the middle of the road that just says, bridge closed. And it was 7.39 PM. Now, if I'd gotten here earlier in the day, I might've tried to find a different route, like a way around this road, another road in, something like that. But it was dark, it was rainy, it was sort of flooded and things just looked kind of creepy a lot of abandoned houses and buildings. Apparently, according to Josh, there was a haunted middle school there, which creeped me out already, and it didn't help that one of my best friend's great-great-grandparents were slaves here 175 years ago. I quickly deduced that there was no shot I was going to try to sneak my way into Wesson. Almost getting locked in a deserted factory was enough excitement for me for one day. I decided to head for my last stop, the Grand Natchez Hotel on the Mississippi River. I was very excited to have found a nice hotel that didn't appear to be part of any chain and for an affordable price. Though I do love the rewards points that come along with staying at a chain, but whatever. I quickly stopped to grab Subway before heading to the hotel. I arrived around 9 p.m. The hotel was gorgeous. I could hear the Mississippi River in the background. I was a little stressed that my hotel reservation may have somehow gotten messed up just because of how easy it was to change my reservation for no fee. But maybe that's the beauty of staying in non-chain hotels. Like the employees actually have less strict protocol and they can pull more strings for you or something. I don't know. Upon entering the hotel, I noticed that there was fiberglass between the front desk and myself and that the staff were wearing masks. 
Also, some of the hotel guests were wearing masks, which I was pleasantly surprised by. Some also were not, which I found weird since there was a giant sign in the lobby asking the guests to wear masks. Again, COVID hadn't really impacted this county of Mississippi yet. Somehow, my reservation was intact and I was ready to go. Many of my friends couldn't believe that I had actually gone through with my plan to execute this trip. And they'd been checking in with me, in disbelief that I was in small cities in the deep south that they had never heard of. My friend RJ in particular asked me where I was staying, and when I told him Natchez, he could not believe it. Apparently, his favorite novel of all time, Natchez Burning, the first part of a three-part series by Greg Isles, takes place in Natchez. My hotel was prominently featured in the novel, as were some of the places that I would be visiting. He made a couple suggestions like the cemetery and Vidalia, Louisiana, right across the river. He sent me the audiobook. I probably should have listened, but by the next afternoon, I'd be out of there anyway, and I didn't want to look back. I wanted to look forward. I walked outside to see if there was a view of the river, and there was a beautiful viewing area accessible right across the street from the hotel. I could hear the river roaring. It was too dark to really see anything, but I could see the outline of how gigantic and grand the Mississippi was, whose waters gave way to some of the most fertile farmland that led to the prosperity of the South. And of course, slavery, and many of the dark pieces of our nation's past that we're still recovering from and trying to work through. I noticed some creepy paintings on the wall inside of the hotel of what looked like plantation owners and presumably slave owners. I started feeling a little vibed out. I had a lot to think about, but I had completed the first day of my road trip and I felt fantastic. It felt incredible to be getting off the beaten path. I had pretty much settled on what my route was going to be. Without getting into too much detail, so as not to spoil the remainder of the podcast, I'll just go by which cities I planned on staying in, in order, and you'll get to see how that changed as the trip went on. Night one, Natchez, Mississippi. Night two, Vicksburg, Mississippi. Night three, Beaumont, Texas. Night four, San Antonio, Texas. Night five, Waco, Texas. Night six, Oklahoma City. Night seven, Topeka, Kansas. Night eight, Sioux City, Nebraska. Night nine, Rapid City, South Dakota. Night 10, Gillette, Wyoming. Night 11, Yellowstone National Park. Night 12, Medora, North Dakota. Night 13, Fargo, North Dakota. Night 14, Green Bay, Wisconsin. And night 15, back in Chicago with Hillary and her family. I knew this plan would change quite a bit, but I was prepared for that. And it's why I tried to only book hotels one night in advance. The trip was only just starting and there was so much more ahead of me. On the next episode of Pack Light, I'll be driving up the Natchez Trace Parkway, spending some quality time along the Mississippi and the Yazoo Rivers, and a late game recommendation leads me to one of the best meals of my entire life in the heart of the Mississippi Delta, in what was, in my opinion, the best planned day of the journey. Check out my YouTube channel for the entire episode, along with the soothing visual accompaniment, as well as the Instagram, at Picks for some videos and pictures of all the stuff from the episode and more. And also for a checklist of all the stops I made if you want to try to do a similar trip. There's a link to my playlist in the episode description as well. Message me on Instagram at NotJulio. That's N-O-T-J-U-L-I-O. And let me know your thoughts and suggestions or literally anything you have to say, either about the episode or just if you want to tell me how you're doing, that's cool too. I would love to hear from you. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next time.